Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Elijah Rising podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined with a special guest today. This is Trey or Trey Nine. Uh, For those of you who recognize him in the city, uh, the region of Houston, um, we're so thankful to have a man like you who has really laid down his life for the kingdom in our city. And so why don't you just share a little bit about yourself? I joked earlier, just some of the monikers that you go by. (laughs) Um, And then I want you to talk about the ministries. I I think there's a a parent ministry, parent organization, and you've got some offshoots. Yep. Just tell us who you are, man. So Bobby Herring is my birth name. Um, but because when I gave my life to the Lord in 1995, uh, I had a hip-hop upbringing. I grew up in the inner city, north side of Houston. And because of my hip-hop upbringing, I had taken up rap as mm. something I wanted to do and dreamed of being a rapper. God saved me in 95, and I I just began renewing my mind, and the lyrics became Christian. And so mm. I started down the journey of being a Christian hip-hop artist. And so from 96, when I first dropped um, music as a Christian hip-hop artist, I had started a record label, my rap name, Trey Nine. Wow. Uh, the record label put out 18 Christian hip-hop albums to date, mm. um, which leads us to around 2008 when I uh, just felt a conviction about Performing, drawing people to Christ, but then leaving. Mm-hmm. I really felt like hip-hop culture needed needed more. And yeah. so I took on um, discipleship and wanted to really go deeper in communities. And so mm-hmm. God opened the door through my church that I was attending, uh, Copperfield Church, who I like to consider the church that launched me out as an urban missionary. Mm. There really wasn't a, a pattern of, of these types of missionaries that were hip-hop artists mm-hmm. becoming mission-minded in, in the field. Yeah. Um, I told them I wanted to take hip-hop to the streets. I had a place in Fifth Ward through uh, uh, a guy named Jay Prince who owned a record mm. company called Rap-A-Lot Records. Um, he offered me his gymnasium. My desire was to, to kind of shift the paradigm of what the streets saw Christianity ass mm-hmm. because I was living in this hip hop culture world, but all church and Christian activities were very traditional. Yeah. And I was like, how can I bring the two worlds together, take it to the street, draw young people in, mm. and introduce them to the gospel? And so in 2008, formed a nonprofit called Eyes on Me Inc. We're mm. 501c3 and just started out as an outreach, doing evangelism. We would set up um, a DJ that would be like our choir director. <laughs> we would have rappers come in that would be kind of like our praise team. And we would have a host on the mic the whole time. That's kind of like the shepherd, the pastor. We had an offering time called Break Bread Time. Um, our communion, everybody ate together at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very much like Amazing. a church forming, um, but but I like to consider it more of an outreach evangelism focused event. Mm-hmm youth started coming, people from all over the city that were Christian were attracted to it. It started Mm -hmm. growing so much so, to make a long story short, it spread across 12 neighborhoods, both in Houston and outside of Houston, and even overseas into like Canada and Jamaica. Wow. Um, So this hip-hop hope model that God had given me Mm -hmm. began to reproduce. 
The only problem was there wasn't enough depth. Mm-hmm. I was really looking for depth. How can we go deeper in communities? And if you're going to do that, you have to address physiological needs, mm. safety, security, love yeah. and belonging, self-esteem, yeah. and of course, their identity in Christ. And mm. so the ministry took a, took a turn about six years ago to scaling back from so many outreaches mm-hmm. and saying, let's dwell deeper. And so we're in five communities across Houston today, mm. um, two in Southwest Houston, Forum Park being one. Uh, and then a Spanish, a predominantly Spanish community out there as well. Uh, Brookshire, Texas, which is past Katy out mm-hmm. west. Mm-hmm. Up north, we're in Greenspoint. Mm. And on the northeast side of Houston, we're in, um, I mean, south, southeast side of Houston, we're in Sunnyside. Oh, wow. So those are our five communities where we dwell deep. Now, we do outreaches and partner. We do schools. We do prisons. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things like that in order to you know, let people know that, hey, when, when you get out of prison, you have a place to plug in. When, mm-hmm. You know, from, from the schools, when the students get out of school, come visit us on sh- social media through yeah. guys like Austin Lanier and people like that. Mm. And so we have all these different tentacles, but five primary communities that we dwell deep in. That's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. Was your intent when you started mm-hmm. uh, your rapping journey to reach yeah. youth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Back then in the late 90s, you would consider hip-hop for the youth. As a matter mm. of fact, churches, they went from, no, you can't come in, mm-hmm. to, okay, go to the youth group. <laughs> yeah. And now you might find a rapper being able to, or, or rap incorporated in the church service. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a church service coming up this Sunday where I'm going to rap in front of the congregation. And oh, wow. Although I retired the mic, I, I'll get those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but early on, it was primarily youth. Now, mm-hmm. hip-hop has all grown up. So I would say up to like age 55, you got people who grew up in the hip-hop culture mm-hmm. that love hip-hop music, rap music. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it, it's started out as just youth. And that's why our mission statement is to mentor, disciple, and serve at-risk youth and their families. Incredible. It kind of started with the youth. Mm-hmm. But as you know, if you win the youth, you can win the family. Yes. And so we started dealing with a lot of families. And that's mm-hmm. that's why we're on mission to you know, mentor, disciple, and serve the family as well. Yes. So let's talk about that, just mm-hmm. the critical nature of serving the family. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you understand there's so many, especially the communities that you're in, yeah. vulnerabilities sure. of the populations that you minister to, you serve. Can you help bridge for our audience, our listeners, some of the things that you're seeing, some of the things that you're witnessing yeah. in these family units and really yeah. the breakdown of mm-hmm. these different areas around our city? Yeah, I can try. It's very complicated because yeah. there's, there's so many different aspects of the hood mm. that that range from very good and will touch your heart mm. to things that are very bad and bad and break your heart. Mm-hmm. I always say there's more good in the hood than there is bad because mm. there are more people trying to make a living, yeah. trying to take care of their kids, you know, feed their family, provide a safe place um, for the community. But I would just blanket it by saying. When you look at the neighborhoods we're in, community is what's missing. Mm-hmm. For one, there's a transient nature of people moving in, your lease is up, go to another place. And so you have that 
that transient nature of people, so it's hard to get traction mm-hmm. when people are always moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is there's a lack of trust for yeah. thy neighbor, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, for obvious reasons. You know, it's hard to trust, and so there's not a there's not like an open door. Oh, come to the neighbor's house. It, mm-hmm. it, for me, I, I grew up in the hood, and I feel like it was still a little bit of that. You know, mm-hmm. I'd go to my friend's house down the street, and mm-hmm. we'd interact. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a lot more people, for various reasons, everything ranging from the you know pedophilia scare, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the way up to the crimes, the other crimes that can be committed, stealing your TVs or your flat screens, mm. and so that trust is really broken down inner city communities, to where when we come in, that's one of our primary focuses. Let's let's move towards community transformation. Mm-hmm. Let's be a community. Yeah. So typically putting a community center there that we run our programs from that meet the needs of the community seem to be the best, the best um, opportunity to see change. Mm. But when you're, when you're talking about it, the communities we serve, you have people that are, are, are landing there from prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got men who've been locked up, getting out, not even knowing how to use a cell phone, yeah. um, how to restore the relationship with their children, mm-hmm. how to restore relationships with their spouse, how to deal with back child support. Yeah. Um, you have kids that are growing up fatherless, therefore they don't have male guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know how big of a, a role my father played in my life, mm-hmm. which, which I think kept me from going astray, having a, a mother and a father in the home that were stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why... I do well in that environment is because I had stability so I can pass that on to the guys who didn't mm-hmm. and try to be a stable rock figure in their life yeah. so that these old habits can break and they can trust again and mm-hmm. they can receive love yeah. and they can become all that God created them to be. Because um, there's not a lot of vision being cast mm-hmm. in these neighborhoods. There's not a lot of leaders. Yeah. There was a time when the church was the pillar mm-hmm. of the communities, mm-hmm. and the church has lost its traction. Mm. Um, many of them are only open on Bible study night and Sunday morning. Yeah. So you have no leadership. Politicians have failed them. Mm-hmm. That's more leadership than yeah. failure. Yeah. Uh, so people are really hurting, and the crime— that happens there is a result of a lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. First in the home from mm-hmm. you know absent fathers, mm-hmm. second from the church mm-hmm. in those communities, and then I would think third from political leaders who you know should be more community active, at, mm-hmm. community you know active um, to try and benefit the community. Yeah. And so where there is no vision, people perish. That's you right. know, and and that's what we see happening. Now mm-hmm. I will say this on the positive side. Being Christ-like examples, going into the neighborhoods, love conquers all. Yes. And so we don't come in like we've got the answer and we're going to save this neighborhood. We, we just come in with the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we're there for the long haul. Yeah. We're not there for the one-off outreach. We're there for the long haul. Mm. So we're dealing with, of course, prostitution. We're dealing with the pimps. We're dealing with with the gangsters. We're dealing with the drug dealers. Mm-hmm. But we're also dealing with the good, hardworking families that are trying to survive. We're dealing with the single moms. We're mm-hmm. dealing with the kids that everybody says, oh, this old bad kid will never be nothing. You know, mm-hmm. So we're dealing with all those factors by responding to each one of them in love. Mm-hmm. So if that means one of the guys we've been working with gets locked up because he had an old warrant, mm-hmm. we're going to be there for him to try yeah. to walk him through that. If it means that 
he gets out of prison and he's like, I need a job. Then we're going to try to connect him to resources we have to get him a job. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's food during a pandemic, we had to pivot to food serving. Um, the freeze, when mm-hmm. pipes busted, we mobilized the church to help yeah. fix pipes. Mm-hmm. And so being that kind of an agent in a community, there's a big absence there for that. So mm-hmm. by us doing that, mm-hmm. we earn the respect, the love, the trust of the community. Yeah racial barriers begin to come down. It doesn't matter that I'm a white boy in a black neighborhood or Mm -hmm. a Hispanic neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Love conquers racism too. And so, um, but there are stereotypes when it comes to race. I realize when I walk in, I'm a white man Mm -hmm. and I know what the white man's stigma is when I go. And so I have to be sensitive to that. Absolutely. But, But I'm convinced that through the love of Christ over a period, a long period of time, Mm. um, that always wins. And so, when kids transition out of Greenspoint, and we've been working with them for two years, mm-hmm. we're not just saying it's over now. Yeah, we're we're saying, hey, we, we got to keep up with this kid. Let's mm. stay in contact here. Let let's keep bringing mm. them to summer camps. Yeah, let's keep them involved. Mm. And that's the key, I think, to um, to community transformation. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I mean. I, I, we could go a number of yes, directions yes. based on what you just said, but because of how I'm wired, I want you to speak to the church's part. Yeah. You spoke to the church's kind of shrank yeah. back. They're, they're not as involved. They're not as active. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is, especially in such yeah. populations yeah. with so much need? Yeah. Well, anything I say is never going to be a blanket for all. Totally. There's, there's always an exception or certain, but it, it has been very difficult to get church partnerships in these communities. Mm -hmm. For one, one of the main things I've seen as we've talked to churches in those neighborhoods is their members are coming from outside the community. Mm. So there's not really a buy-in to help this community. Sure. Um, Even if the pastor grew up there or even if he lives there, which Mm. is kind of a rare case even. Mm. And so if you're accustomed because you're an older pastor to doing church as usual, Mm -hmm. the priority is to keep that church alive. Wow. And to hang on to what you got. Mm-hmm. The community might get some of the spillover from that. So, you know, maybe the the, the food pantry's open. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe there's a youth night once a year or mm-hmm. once a quarter. Yeah. Um, but to see a church mobilize into the community, mm-hmm. um, that's what you you don't see a lot of. Mm. Some of the membership of these churches, I believe, they want to be out. Yeah, it's just too much, too much to carry. Mm-hmm. Some of these members that were from those neighborhoods, they 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 just want to be far far removed from it because mm-hmm. they remembered what they had to deal with. Yeah. They remembered they got wounds, they got PTSD. Yeah, from some of the things they seen there, and so um, a lot of the churches have just not been able to mobilize their people into the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, we get most of our support and even helping hands from suburban churches outside the community. Mm-hmm. Not because that's what we target. It's because they were the only ones willing to say, we'll, we'll come alongside you. Yeah. Um, but we try um, always to meet with the churches in the community and say, let's work together. Mm-hmm. I've found a lot of territorial nonsense that exists where churches are like, well, if it's not here at our church, mm-hmm. if we ain't doing it here, oh, we, we're not working with them, uh, who's going to pay for this? And it's just all these different political, mm. just 
it's just nonsense that yeah. happens yeah. when if we united, we'd be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened to the days when, you know, the drug dealers were on the corner and the church across the street was like, we're not having that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now it's just surrendered to it. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't mess with our Bible study on Wednesday and our church service on Sunday, mm-hmm. we put a fence up around the lot so you can't break in. Yeah. We lock our vans up. We lock our church down. Mm. What does that say to the community? Yeah. We don't want you here, mm-hmm. except on Wednesday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a major problem. That's a major problem. I think in order in order for churches to gain their to gain their um, leadership back in the communities, I think they need to get out there, mm-hmm. not just once a month, or yeah. not just for turkeys for yeah. Thanksgiving or toys for Christmas. Mm-hmm. They need to get out there on a daily basis. Yeah. They need to deal with the kid's dad who's coming home from prison. They need to deal with the kid who's out of control and the single mom can't mm-hmm. can't. They need to go to the school and talk to the principal. Mm-hmm. They need to check it, check his or her grades. How are you doing in school? Oh, you know what? You made an A. Man, let's go have some ice cream. Yeah. Like, we have to become spiritual parents. Absolutely. You know, and just reading your Bible and singing songs on Sunday and getting excited and then going home and having a fish fry, it's not going to do mm. anything. Mm. We've got to become spiritual parents to the community. And that's the only way that I think we can see community transformation impact the amount of kids graduating from high school in these neighborhoods, impact the recidivism rate, uh, rates in prison, impact you know the, the amount of uh, young ladies who are turning to prostitution yeah. for income and support and moms turning to that for income and support. It, it takes spiritual parenting. Hmm. I, I want to say like where have you been all my life? <laughs> you're you're literally saying so much of what I've been saying to our community, to our organization. I mean, I feel just the life of God, like a clarion call, like an alarm is going off. And so I I really hope that people that are listening are not feeling accusation or judgment, but they're feeling responsibility again that it's the responsibility of the church and anybody who knows me has heard me say this we're not waiting for legislation to be passed a powerful man in government to be raised up what we're waiting for is for us to be who god has called us to be as the church and carry your cross right take up your cross yes honor and you know there's fear obviously satan's you know attack on america has been one of many is fear yeah i mean People won't go to these neighborhoods sometimes for fear of of what might happen. If you watch the news every mm-hmm. night, there's several murders. Yes. And they're calling out our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. That will make a person say, I'm not going there. Exactly. Um, but God says, you, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, Amen. but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so mm-hmm. we have to not allow fear to keep us from moving forward because— Technically, we signed up to die when we became a Christian exactly. anyway. Yes. That's what carrying your cross meant. You're carrying your cross to your crucifixion. Mm. Um, fortunately, I'm still around. I haven't got shot, killed. No one in our ministry since 2008, for me going back to 95 going to hoods, mm. has ever been shot, stabbed, mm-hmm. even beat up. We had one guy flip the DJ's table one time. That's about it. Mm. But we've had a window broken out of the mission home, but never anything like that because yeah. we believe 
God is there. He's present with us. And only what he allows is going to happen. And if it happens, Hmm. I believe his work would even further more. So count the cost to be a disciple. This isn't about uh, soaking knowledge and information from a Bible. This is about applying what you see Jesus doing. And Hmm. everywhere those disciples went, it was a risk. (laughs) It was a risk of your life, Hmm. you being killed, murdered. It was a risk of you being thrown in prison. Yeah. you definitely had to leave family, mm. mother, father, homes, businesses. Like, mm. there was a risk. And yeah. by no means am I saying everyone needs to, you know, leave your wife. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I'm saying, where's the sacrifice? Exactly. You know, there's got to yes. be a—even worship. Mm. Think about worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. This is your spiritual act of worship. So for me— before singing a song, lifting my hands, and getting in a mood, worship to me is going out and putting my That's life right. on the line. That's right. Saying, God, I offer my body. I don't want to do this. Mm. It's hot. Mm-hmm. There's mosquitoes or whatever yeah. my— yeah. I could get shot by this guy. This drug dealer could say I had enough of you. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the, these are are this is my form of worship yeah, by amen. me going and doing this. Amen. And so sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. Risk something. Yeah. If you want to be a disciple— like the like the model we saw Jesus and in the book of Acts, Paul carrying out and his disciples. Yes, and a lot of what you're saying really um, intersects with who we are. Yeah. Elijah rising, you know. The yeah. for those of you who tracking with us for the first time, Malachi four, five, and six. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, He will release the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And so. I want to talk a little bit about that okay. because even Paul's ministry said, you know, you have so many teachers, but very little fathers. Oh, his, his intent was to multiply the family of God, to raise up houses of families mm-hmm. where leaders were empowered in their giftings to demonstrate yeah. God's character and nature and not just to have one super apostle, as yeah. he said yeah. in yeah. 2 Corinthians 11, demonstrate all these things. That's and good. so I want to hear from you how you've seen the multiplication of fathers mm-hmm. happen in your ministry and yeah. and what that requires. You know, it's it's a difficult thing to raise because Jesus invested in 12. You know what I mean? He was content to entrust his entire life to 12 people. And yet we have this model in our Western Christianity that it's about the big stage and the many numbers. Yeah. How big is your following on Instagram? How big is your mm-hmm. ministry? Yeah. You know? And so tell me about, talk to us about the slow and steady of fathering and investing. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably one of the most important things when it when we talk about community transformation um, or family transformation. Um, and, and being a father is not just to a kid. You know, we're fathering men yeah. um, who never had a father in the home, mm-hmm. who never had that modeled. And I thank God that I did have my father. Still, my mom and dad are married to this day. Mm. I saw him go to work, mm-hmm. provide for our family. I saw him come home every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't abusive, yeah. you know, so I didn't have the abusive father because I believe there's the abusive father, uh, the abandoned, the, the father who abandons the mm-hmm. family, the absentee father who he's in the home, but he's not really there, yeah. you know. Um, and, and, and those father types, you know, exist you know, in the in, in in a lot of the neighborhoods, the house most of the households we serve, probably seventy percent of the community is fatherless, mm-hmm. and um, 
how do you how do you turn the tables on that? You can't just go and make a father. Yeah. You know, many of the men I know, they really do want to be in their kids' lives. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, okay, let's start here. Yeah. I know she's your daughter's mad at you. Mm-hmm. I know she don't, but let's start praying. Mm-hmm. You know, and let's start praying that God will open her heart. Mm. She's just wounded. She's hurt. Yeah. Um, you're, we know that your baby's mama is trying to block you from being able to see your kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's not respond in violence. Mm-hmm. Let's pray, and then let's take the ne- necessary steps with the attorney general mm-hmm. to do this right. Yeah. Just that little bit of presence and advice mm-hmm. can keep a man from going back to prison yeah. or losing his mind and turning to drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, because these are the things that our fathers taught us. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't respond this way, you respond this way. Mm-hmm. But when you didn't have a father that way and you grew up, hey, you got you to gotta survive. You got to be the toughest. Mm-hmm. You know, in the streets, you got to be the toughest. You, you can't let no one punk you out. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to prison, you yeah. got to side with your race and join, you know, pick, pick who you're going to be with there. Mm-hmm. And so the, what they've learned about manhood is totally different from what I learned at my home, yeah. even though we're from the same environment. Yeah. So that tells me the importance of the father modeling for the sons is huge as to the outcome in life. Absolutely. I think you've probably seen some of the stats. Yes. You know, they're pretty alarming. Yes. So what do I do as a Christian? Well, when God puts men in my life, and like you said, there's no way that I could disciple more than Jesus, mm. right? He had 12. Mm. So I try to keep it at 11 men at the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I fluctuate in there. But I need to be teaching them mm-hmm. to disciple yeah. others. So yeah. our model is 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, as I've entrusted this to you, Timothy, mm-hmm. you entrust the faithful men who will entrust the faithful others. Amen. In our churches, mm. we're teaching come here, get fed by me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feed you. So people have this mindset Come get fed by him. Mm-hmm. Come get, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is when it isn't translating downstream. That's right. So the men that you're preaching to about being Christ-like need to be challenged, mm. held accountable to pouring into other faithful yes. who would entrust it to faithful others. So yes. we're missing discipleship reproduction. Mm-hmm. We're missing multiplication because mm-hmm. we're so focused on addition. Exactly. Bring them more. Mm. So everybody that I disciple, I don't teach them, bring them to me. Mm-hmm. Bring them to our Bible study. Bring them to our church service. Bring them, I teach them, you disciple them. That's good. You yeah. meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. and then you start teaching them. You start training. Mm-hmm. And then we get into, well, everybody's not qualified. To, well, you, you don't have to. You have to. You have to know how to love. Mm-hmm. You have to follow the Holy Spirit to mm. disciple people. Yeah, maybe you're you're not going to disciple um, a person older than you that's already in church, but mm-hmm. a new believer. Yeah, surely we can all, if we've been in discipled at all, can disciple a new believer. Exactly, and that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Be a spiritual father to a son mm-hmm. who will in turn be raised up to be a spiritual father to a younger son. Yeah. And I think that's what we need more of. It, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Man, I, I can't tell you how meaningful this conversation is to me and how validating it is to the work that we're trying to yeah. perpetuate in the city. Um, you know, it would be one thing if one of our staff members was like, you know what? 
I, I recognize we have a program, but I got to take this girl in our home. You oh, know, that, that hasn't happened yet, but I believe we're, we're getting to that space where there's not enough beds, there's not enough homes, there's not enough workers right now to serve the demand that's in the field. You know, that's why mm-hmm. Jesus, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers yes. because the work is is plentiful the yeah. harvest is ready That's you know so real. and and even you know we just did an interview with a nurse and you know i told her this is why i'm not in healthcare cuz i'm too attached i would take every one of those children i mean how do you yeah. how do you not yeah. how do you not see the need and respond and what i love and honor most about you Trey is you're proclamating what needs to be done, but you're also modeling it. And so I want you to talk about the journey that you've been in the field, but you've also brought children into your home. You fostered, yeah. you've adopted. Yeah, It's massive. Uh, you've taken work home with you, as some yeah. people would say. Man, to God be the glory. It's definitely, I wasn't trained this way or raised this way. I, I would have never imagined going from, I'm just going to rap for Jesus to the the level of depth that this ministry has gone gone to like that's not my brain power or knowledge or mm-hmm. intellect that's all glory to god Amen. he obviously knew that this could be done and i just mm-hmm. needed to step out in faith so just want to make that clear mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to i don't have a college degree i did some college but i don't have a college degree i grew up in an inner city neighborhood where they had to revamp the whole high school because they were threatening to shut it down because of academic performance mm-hmm. um so it, it's not by you know, my intellect or, or, or my college degree that I'm able to do what I do. It's yeah. it's just the Holy Spirit. He's powerful. Amen. He teaches all things. You know, he Amen. he guides me. But when I um when I married my wife Amanda, it was 2010. She was taking food from the job she worked at down to the homeless in downtown Houston and began feeding them. And she said, God, if you provide because she was taking leftover food from an auction. They had all this papacitos, papados, and she was like, we can't throw this food away. Mm. This is perfectly wrapped food. It's, you know, mm-hmm. she took it to the homeless. Yeah. That became a daily thing. God mm. kept providing her and her mom would make these big old pots of food. And I saw that and I was like, let me get some of the churches involved and see if they wanted to do it. Mm. Churches started responding. Well, a year into that, it was about a year, year and a half into that, there were two boys homeless under the bridge. And one was a baby, somewhere 14, 15 months, and the other was three years old, about to turn four. And they were with their mother. It was really cold. They didn't have on adequate clothing, and she needed help. Yeah. We offered to take them to our house for the night. Uh, long story short, four months later, um, CPS had got involved and she said, will you adopt my, my boys? Mm. And I remember thinking, that's a big responsibility. You know, I had married my wife and mm-hmm. I, I got a 13-year-old stepdaughter as a yeah. result of that. So I was mm. still learning that. But now you're talking about two more kids. And I said, I remember I told God, well, when I signed up to be a missionary, I didn't say I would pick and choose what was convenient for me. I, I'm all in. And so, so when we adopted them, um, today they're uh, uh, 15 years old is my oldest in the 10th grade and then uh, 13 uh, my 7th grader mm. and um, I never thought my home 
would not only, and by the way, we took in a homeless man as well who helped us raise them. Mm, (laughs) He started out doing some work for his paint, and then he ended up living with us. But I counted how many people have lived in our house. We've had 28 people live with us, Mm. and I've had my house for around 20 years. Wow. I'm I'm married to this, Mm. you know. The last person just moved out of my house three months ago. Mm -hmm. There's no greater discipleship you can do than someone to live with you. Yeah. Because they get to see me be a father, Mm -hmm. not just talk about it. Mm -hmm. They get to see my wife. They get to see my kids. Yeah. They get to see how we function as a family. Mm -hmm. Am I advocating everybody take somebody in? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Because it is a risk. It is. But I can tell you it's been most rewarding in in our situation. Yeah. Everybody hasn't landed toward this utopia of success. Mm. I've got people that live with me. One of them's in jail right now, prison right now, Mm. for a long time. But the impact we made on his life still Mm -hmm. lasts today. Amen. And so I think it's important to know that there's no safety net, you know, um, when it when it's come to me being a missionary yeah. and my wife is all in, when your kids start to get older mm-hmm. and they need their space, then it can become a problem. And so sure. I think now, do I want to continue to do that? Mm. I don't know because I need to make sure my kids. Mm-hmm. It ain't. I'm not putting my kids on the altar of, you know, bringing people in my home. But wow. I can tell you that I'm led by the heart. My wife is led by her heart, and I don't regret. Mm. any of the people that have lived with us. Yeah. What do we do about the problem of all these people needing transitional housing, sober living? We need more homes. We do. You know, we need more homes. Eliza Rising needs more homes, which means you need more donors. You need more partners. Yeah. Um, and, and if we do that, we can make an we can make a greater impact. Mm. And so I'm an advocate for taking them in your home. If you're not going to do that, I'm an advocate for you putting some dollars up to pay rent for a home. Yeah. We have... We have two apartments right now, mm. and that's what they're they're being used for, transitional living um, for men in one. And then the other one is moving from a missionary family that lives there to transitional uh, for women. Mm. Um, so when they come off the street, that, that layover period where yeah. it's hard to get them into a spot, mm-hmm. they can come with us in safety, and then we can get them where they need to go. But I'm with it. Housing is, yeah. is, is a great need. Yeah, I want to bridge while we're on that as an anti-trafficking organization. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement in helping intercept these young girls yeah. who are on the fringes? They really are. I mean, they're they're trying to to be an adult in the home by helping provide. They're trying to take care of their younger siblings. And you just have this theft of innocence because of the situations, the circumstances that a lot of these families find themselves in. Can you give a story or an example of of your ministry's ability to intercept some of these young girls who yeah. could have gone down a, a difficult path? Yeah, you know, the good thing is um, just earlier this year, we were given an opportunity, a great opportunity about it by a sponsor, um, Goya Foods, to mm. enter into that trafficking space because— we're in the neighborhoods where it's happening. Yeah. Um, but obviously it takes a special kind of person to deal mm. with with prostitution, sex trafficking, exploitation. 
And so many people around town know who Tracy Dudley is. Mm. She was in a, it was a God thing because she was in a place where she kind of needed to, you know, get under the umbrella of a nonprofit and begin working. I've known her for 20 plus years. We had got this grant. So just this year, the beginning of the year, we started a, a traffic, anti-trafficking uh, department called Changing the Game. Because wow. we know what the game is, you mm. know. Um, and she spearheads that. So we go to the street. Mm. We do outreaches, block parties. We provide resources that draw the girls in, aside mm. from food and music. So they come, they interact, they get to meet, you know, who Eyes on Me is. Um, we get to tell them about the opportunities they have mm. when, when, it, when it comes time to leaving the life. Yeah. And, um, and then now we can land them into our transitional facility and then land them into a place around town that does, um, that helps women who are in, in, in that situation. Mm. And so in Greens Point in particular, we have this place called the God's Point Mission Center. It's mm. the ninth floor of a multi, multi-tenant office building. And so it's a, it's a landing space. So Tracy is always, because I believe women need to meet with the, with the women. You, know? yeah, you yeah. won't find me out there bringing prostitutes in. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll find our women doing that. And yeah. so bringing them up here, they'll land at this space, assess their needs, what they need, whether it's, whether it's crisis management at the moment or it's transition or even entrepreneurship programs to help them to take that hustle they got. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these women... You know, they, they have a hustle and a drive, but it's aimed in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so we're trying to provide platforms in, in, in music, in podcasting, uh, in even shoe customization, T-shirt printing, wow. um, things like that, and discovering new things that they can begin applying that same energy and drive to. Mm-hmm. Of course, once they get out of the crisis situation. And so that's kind of our new... I love new that. ministry, it's huge. Which it's been a long time coming because we've been seeing the prostitutes on Bissonette, uh, especially Bissonette Forum Park Drive, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's a big problem. The government can't handle it. It's going to have to be the church, exactly. Um, but this is how you handle it through mm-hmm. what Elijah Rising does, and what we do, and what others do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how we work in that space. Yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, just as we're landing, coming to a close. We've been wrecked with the experiential, the educational side of what you see and what you do, but what's a practical way that people listening can participate in what you're doing? They know all about us and how to volunteer, but how can people find you? How can they uh, be a part? How can they sow? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. You can go to our website, Mm eyesonmeinc.com, and uh, obviously get in contact with us there. We're also on Instagram, at eyesonmeinc. Facebook at Eyes on Me Inc. Mm. Um, personally, I do a lot of social media interaction on my page, which is um, on Instagram at Trey Nine Online, T R E the number nine online dot not dot com. Sorry, at Trey Nine Online, <laughs> and then uh, on Facebook, um, Trey and the last name to the nine T O T H E N I N E. Nice. I couldn't just put a nine, <laughs> so I had to put to the nine, but. Um, that's, that's probably the best way to get in touch with us. We need volunteers. Mm. 
everything from the introverted person to the extrovert, yeah. to the bold person that will knock on doors with us and share the gospel and pray with people, mm-hmm. to the introverted person who can just get behind the table and serve yeah. hot dogs for the outreach. Yeah. Um, we also have a need for executives who can contribute two hours a month. Mm. Um because when we have a person who says, I'm ready to change my life, mm. we have a Disciple the Streets 10-week kind of filtering system that, that empowers them with tools to make disciples. Mm-hmm. After that, they can join what we call Ambassadors Club. Mm. When you're in Ambassadors Club, it's six months and you have a goals coach, which is an uh, executive. Awesome. An executive that works with you on coaching for finance, family, and career. Mm. And so that goals coach will pour into them two hours a month mm. while we work on kind of that those other areas of their life. Awesome. So if you're a, a, an executive and you're like, I don't have time for anything. Let me just write a check. Yeah. You can write a check, but you can also give two hours a month to be a, a goals coach. Mm. Um, and once again, all, the, all these things, you can go to the website, click on volunteer mm. and sign up. Uh, yes, we do background checks. Awesome. <laughs> but if you're a felon, we have felons in the ministry that are amazing uh, mm. evangelists and disciple makers too. So Amen. Uh, most of the men that we have in the ministry, I would not most, half of the men that are going through Ambassadors Club and what we call President's Club mm. have been to prison. Yeah. Um, and if you want to go to prison, you want to go to jails, women's and men's prisons, we can take you in because mm-hmm. those girls need support. Those men need support. Absolutely. Writing letters. If you love to write, they love to receive letters. There's mm. so much so much opportunity that really we are without excuse. Yes. Even if you're working a high-level executive position, even if you're just struggling financially from the top to the bottom, hmm. there's something you can do. Um, and Amazing. so we invite everybody to be a part. Trey, man, thank you so much for being <laughs> on the episode. We so appreciate you. Yes, sir. Uh, you guys listening and watching, we just want to admonish you. We want to exhort you to... Find your place in the spectrum of care. Uh, just as Trey said, whether that's volunteering or sewing or lending your time, there's a place for all of us at the table. Uh, we hope that you are richly blessed by this episode. Share it with your friends, your family. And until next time, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org slash donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.